Hello and welcome to another episode of Rethinking Rehab with Dr. Shane Smith. I'm a licensed physical therapist practicing out of Naples, Florida. I'm the owner of Naples Premier Physical Therapy uh, and I'm here to give some friendly advice to those that want to listen on options and alternative methods for healing common musculoskeletal injuries or other problems that kind of fall in PT scope of practice. Uh, today, our 33rd podcast, numbers are just flying it seems nowadays. Uh, we're going to do a research rundown today over very few therapists' uh, favorite joint of the body. Um, not many PTs like to work on this joint. I personally have never had an issue working on the jaw. We're going to be talking about the temporomandibular joint. Um, this research rundown is kind of interesting. It's a very new article that just came out this year. Uh, it's entitled Dry Needling and Upper Cervical Spinal Manipulation in Patients with Temporomandibular Dis Disorder, a Multicenter Randomized Clinical Trial. So with this uh, research, what they tried to determine is between two treatment options for someone with jaw pain, what is most effective? So the two studies they kind of looked at were we can give a group dry needling to the jaw masseter temporalis musculature, and we can also do a subcranial upper cervical thrust, which is a quick snap, crack, pop kind of movement. Uh, or we could go kind of a more traditional route that we're typically used to seeing for TMB-related issue, um, to temporomandibular joint issues. You normally are looking at splinting, which is kind of like a, a night guard, you know, kind of a, a formed via dentistry um, mouth guard, followed by medications for inflammation. This one they use diclofenac, which is also... Um, Volterran, and they also finally did some joint mobilization. So we're talking kind of like non-thrust joint mobs and some manual work to the musculature of the jaw, which from a personal note, being a therapist that has treated a lot of upper cervical problems and jaw-related problems, there's a lot of interconnection between these two joint regions. Um, your jaw literally sits just a few fingers in front of where some of your subcranial spine is. So there's a lot of interaction in terms of musculature movement from your subcranial spine and your jaw. Um, there's also a lot of nerve innervation that goes from C0 to C3, uh, which is kind of the occiput base of skull to the third vertebrae in your neck. That region, C0 through C3, also has a lot of nerve uh innervation that runs out of it that also feeds into some of the nerves that feed your face that also deal with some of these movements of mascitation as well as other movements our jaw does other than just eating. So I found this to be interesting because from my experience with TMJ related issues um, or TMD as they like to kind of talk about it as a temporal mandibular disorder. Typically, people say I've got TMJ, which I kind of internally laugh at because TMJ just stands for temporomandibular joint. So when someone's like, oh, I got TMJ, everyone always assumes, oh, shit, there's something wrong with your jaw. But it's you've got TMJ, that's great. Everyone's got two TMJs. Wonderful. TMD stands for temporomandibular disorder. So kind of interchangeable, but just to make that clarification. So people that I've treated in the past with joint-related issues in the jaw, I have found it either to be a facial mastication, a chewing muscle 
that has caused the joint to get irritated, whether it be tight on one side. Um, some people tend to have a preference, right jaw versus left jaw they chew with. So I've seen maybe some people that always chew on the right side of the jaw. Maybe they had dental work done or had something wrong with the tooth on the opposite side of their mouth at some point in time. So they decide to just habitually always chew on one side. I've had gum chewers that constantly are on one side versus the other. The imbalance aspect can throw this off. Um, a situation some people, not many have dealt with, but it definitely can happen is where your meniscoid, there is a small little dense cartilaginous uh, structure in your jaw joint. It's called a meniscoid. That can sometimes get slightly pinched in the joint itself and cause your jaw to stay locked, either open or closed. That locked jaw situation is really unfun and it does have to be manipulated to get improved. Um, but that's a rarity. Most people deal with either clenching or other joint pains with eating and that's kind of what gives them this problem. I have seen people with headache issues and jaw-related issues, and that's just an interconnection between the, the upper cervical, that C0 to C3 spine, as well as your muscles uh, affiliated with the TMJ. So with this study, we'll talk about some baselines here. Um, in the past when I've treated this, I have typically gone on a pretty straightforward regimen with care. So before I go into what this study says, what I've done in the past, I like to use cold laser on the jaw joint itself. I like to use cold laser on muscles around the joint. So we're talking paragoid muscles, which are usually your problem child. Uh, masseter, which is the bigger jaw muscle you can feel kind of on the edge of your jaw itself, which is your mandible bone. Um, as well as sometimes the temporalis muscle, which sits higher on the jaw, almost on the side of your hairline. Um, that is a muscle that works for full end range closure of your jaw. So a lot of times I'll do cold laser to those muscles. Sometimes, not always, I would use ultrasound to the TMJ joint itself if I felt that it was inflamed or irritated. Um, and then I would do manual therapy with Graston tools for fascial release and or muscular circulatory improvements uh, external to the skin on the jaw itself. And occasionally, if I felt a paragoid muscle was really the problem, I would go internal with a glove on inside their mouth and manually work musculature from the inside of their mouth. Not a lot of people enjoy having a therapist stick their hand in the individual's mouth. Um, however, I can tell you with those that had muscle trigger point issues with those deep paragoid muscles, um, that was one of the most effective parts of treatment that I would do for them. Now, how would you want to know if it's a paragoid versus a other muscle? Palpation, pushing pressure, and finding where it hurts the most is a really good indicator to know if there's a muscle that's majorly the problem. Um, if you kind of rub near your temple, kind of the side of the eye, uh, near your hairline up and down or do some circles through that region and that reproduces or increases discomfort near the jaw. You have involvement of temporalis most likely. If it's more on the angle of your mandible bone, your jaw itself, when you're pushing down in that corner point and you're getting knots of the muscle that are rolling over your finger that hurt, maybe giving you referred pain up on the side of the face, it could be more the masseter muscle. If it's paragoid, which is the one I find more commonly, you're going to feel the arch of your cheek, which is called your zygomatic arch, 
and then you're just going to drop off the lower part of that until you can feel some taut bands like in your cheek and if in if just below that cheekbone in kind of where your cheek itself is you can feel some long stringy bands kind of running up and down those are your paragoids and that muscle group I find because of the size of it and the amount of involvement with chewing motions a lot of times if it's all facial muscles that's your problem child um, occasionally I will find subcranial muscles muscles near the base of the skull like behind the ears can also cause a lot of problems in the jaw so in the past it was manual it was instrument work it was laser ultrasound modalities if needed on some occasions, if we had patients with pain just chewing only, not constant pain, then I'd look a lot at mechanics of movement of the jaw. And we'd look into some kind of slow opening, closing, trying to control the movement better with visual assistance. That was my typical go-to for TMD-related issues, TMJ problems. Um, so for me, this was kind of intriguing because you know, my new train of thought with a lot of dry needling treatment I do I feel is more effective than the manual instrument work that I've done in the past just due to the nature of physical touching internally in the body. You know, you just have better outcomes if you can physically touch a trigger point than have to push through skin, fat tissue, other muscles on the trigger point. It's going to take longer. It's not going to be as effective as the needle itself is. So I'm looking at this research paper saying we got a little new school thrust slash dry needling as opposed to splinting in anti-inflammatories and manual mobilization stuff that I've typically have done in the past. Um, now I will tell you generality there were benefits for both groups so neither method that was looked at was wrong or made it worse it was just a matter of how much better one versus the other did. So in this study they had 120 participants pass the requirements um, you had to be at least 18 years or, or older. You had to have clinical diagnosis of temporomandibular disorder. Um, you also had to have symptoms for at least three months of pain in the jaw. And the intensity of the pain had to be at least a 30 on a scale of 0 to 100. So those were some of the requirements you had to have just to be able to be considered in this study. Now they did have a lot of exclusionary criteria too. So you could fit those three descriptions I just described, but there still could be factors that would hold you out of the study. Um, you could have a history of traumatic fall or fracture to your face. You could have disc displacement, kind of that meniscoid I was talking about earlier. Arthritis, arthrosis issues in the TMJ joint itself. Surgical related issues to that joint. You could have tension or migraine history headache. Whiplash history in the last six weeks. Fibromyalgia diagnosis rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, psoriatic arthritis issues. Um, if you've re received PT or chiropractic or acupuncture or splint therapy in the last three months, they didn't want you in the study. Um, a lot of various factors like that that would limit you out. And of the 257 people that did fit the criteria, they threw 126 out because of some of these other things I described they didn't fit the bill on. So of everything that was done, they used... 120 randomly assigned participants. 62 got dry needling and spinal thrust treatment. 58 got the splinting for their mouth, they got the uh, NSAID medication, and they got the mobilization uh, to the jaw itself. And they would check baseline level at the start of the, the study, 
They checked them two weeks later, six weeks later, and then three months after starting this study. Um, that was kind of the structure setup. Virtually all the participants were within 40 years, 30 to 50, we'll say age-wise. They all virtually had about the same weight, about the same height, ironically, and they both had symptom duration for about six to seven years. So there was some time period that they had this going on for, majorly female, two, two to one ratio, female to male, but both sexes were in this participating group. Um, both groups had statistically similar baseline numbers in terms of pain, jaw intensity, um, active pain-free mouth opening. So all the parameters that they looked at, both groups fit very close to it. Um, so when you look at the uh, dry needling and thrust group, they received one to two treatments for about a month. They averaged about six treatments, I believe this group had. Both were about around six, give or take uh, a session. Um, and the main points the needling was trying to target was the inferior head of the lateral paragoid muscle. So one of those I was telling you that goes off that zygomatic arch that kind of runs in the middle of your cheek. Uh, superficial masseter muscle, that's the one that goes down near the uh, angle of your, your mandible, uh, that's your masseter. Temporalis muscle, the one that goes right up on the side of your hairline near your ear. Um, and the back of the actual TMJ joint itself. So those were the placement locations for these needles. They would put them in, they're only 15 millimeters long, so they're very short, very small for the face. They would leave them in for 15 to 30 minutes and they would just twist bilateral directions every five minutes with the treatment. They also received a high velocity, low amplitude cervical thrust to C0, C1, C1, C2, C2, C3. Many times when you do this kind of a cervical thrust manipulation, you're cracking all those segments in the same movement. So it's not like position, rotate thrust, position, rotate thrust, position. It's just one snap and you get multi-segments to crack. Because those levels have such nerve involvement to the face, that gives you some potential improvement in pain by just mobilizing those joints. Conversely, if you have stiffness, tightness in those joints, you can get referred tightening of muscles that are down the chain of the nerves that innervate those joints. So um, if I have knee joint problems, the muscles that are around that knee joint a lot of times are going to guard and tense up because of pain in the joint. Um, that's just kind of how our brain naturally reacts to painful stimuli. We kind of tends to guard. So that was one group, what they got treatment-wise. The other group had interocclusive um, appliance done. So they had a um, molded mouth guard that clicked into the top palate that would prevent severe biting down, clenching, grinding movements. Because a lot of times with TMJ joint problems, that unconscious action can give you a lot of issues. That person normally is waking up in the morning with headaches, waking up in the morning with worse stiffness in their jaw. That's typically what we see with that kind of a group population that has those issues if it's due to night clenching and so forth. And I will take a pause in this study for a second. I do feel that splinting or the night guards are a great option if you do feel you clench at night. I wore one for many years and I did feel that it was helpful. I bet through mine, they're not cheap. They're, I think mine was $400 that I had made by a dentist. 
uh, and about it lasted me maybe two years. Um, I can recall telling the dentist when I chew through the actual plastic itself saying, well, can you make me another one with my mold? And he laughed. He said, we don't keep these molds. There goes another 400 bucks to get another one. So I get that aspect can get tough. And if it's more pain at different times than just first thing waking up in the morning, it may not be just evening joint clenching. But that study did have the plate that they had to wear quite regularly. Um, the plate was expected to be worn, I believe, every night that the study was going on. So they had to use diaries and show that they were compliant with wearing it every night. The diclofenac, which is Voltaren, was prescribed at 50 milligrams three times per day for a month. If the symptoms the patient felt was improving, they could drop that frequency to two times instead of three times a day. Uh, but they had to keep taking some amount of medication as well as they got nine, or excuse me, 10 minutes of non-thrust joint mobilization. So they're kind of working on inferior glides and other things to the jaw. A lot of the stuff I used to do for this that I do think has benefits to this kind of a problem. And they looked at the outcome measures for each group, two weeks, three months, six weeks after starting the study. Um, and like I said, both groups did get better, but the group that improved substantially more was the dry needling and spinal manipulation group. So the main things I'm going to talk about, I'm going to throw some numbers out here quickly. Um, I will link this study in the uh, description. So if you want to click on the study and look through this data a little bit more specifically, by all means, feel free to. Um, so the main primary outcome was jaw pain intensity and that was a zero to 100 scale so it's all personal opinion zero to 100 you rate this thing the baseline start of the study the dry needling spinal manipulation group rated their baseline pain at a 53.9 the splinting NSAIDs mobilization group was a 53.5 so we're talking 0.4 difference between the two groups at baseline I will read off dry needling and spinal manipulation first. So baselines 53.9. After two weeks, that pain rating drops to a 23.9. After six weeks, it goes to a 15.5. And after three months, it drops to a 14.4. So from the start of this study to three months out, the individuals in this group on average improved 39.5 points on a visual analog scale of zero to 100. Statistical numbers to be significant is, is anywhere between 7 to 10 change, and they had a 39.5 change. So statistically, absolutely significant change. Improvement-wise, dry needling for average pain intensity in the jaw. Looking at the alternative group, the splinting, the NSAIDs, and the mobilization group, they started baseline at a 53.5. After two weeks, they were down to a 37.4. Then after six weeks, they were at 34.0. After three months, they were at a 35.8. So they had a total change from beginning baseline to end three months later of 17.6. So we're talking a 39.5 versus 17.6 point difference between the two groups for that rating. Looking at jaw pain intensity over the past 24 hours, baseline for dry needling manipulate and spinal manipulation, 
splinting NSAIDs mobilization group baseline for this category was 49.6. So a 48.8 versus 49.6 were less than one vast rating difference between the two groups at baseline. Going from dry needling spinal manipulation first, we went from a 48.8, two weeks later, 21.2, six weeks later, 12.7, three months out, 13.2. So from start to finish for jaw pain intensity over the past day, it improved 35.6 points in the dry needling spinal manipulation group. Comparing that to your splinting NSAID mobilization, we're starting at a 49.6. After two weeks, it dropped to a 34.1. Six weeks, 31.8. And three months later, it went to a 33.1. So there was a 16.6 point difference improvement in that group. So once again, both groups are improving. Spinal manipulation and dry kneeling is just going twice as fast and twice as much relief. So we're going from a 16.6 to a 35.6, 20 point difference between the two, that's significant. Final thing they looked at in this study was active pain-free mouth opening. Arguably, this is maybe one of the most important ones. How wide can you open your mouth to eat and do other things with your mouth? Dry needling spinal manipulation group at baseline was a 32 millimeter opening the splinting NSAIDs mobilization group was a 32.3, so virtually identical numbers for size of opening in millimeters. And typically you're doing this off of the front top and bottom teeth. You measure the difference between those two teeth. Two weeks after starting this study for the dry needling spinal manipulation, Opening, pain-free mouth opening went from 32 millimeters to 39.8. After six weeks, it went to 42.7 millimeters. After three months, it went to 44.1 millimeters. So it increased 12.1 millimeters. So they got virtually 20 to 30% improvement in the ability to open their jaw. If you look at the splinting NSAIDs mobilization group, starting at baseline was 32.3 millimeters. After two weeks, they went to 34.9 millimeters. Six weeks, 35.9 millimeters. Three months, 35.4 millimeters. So you only saw a three millimeter improvement in jaw opening ability with splinting NSAIDs and mobilization. Whereas you saw a 12 millimeter, four times the quantity of movement increase in the jaw with dry needling and spinal manipulation. Those numbers are significant. Um, if you think about having to open your mouth to eat and it hurts to, if you can get a third of 33% more opening ability, that drastically improves what you can actually eat and how easy it is to consume varying amounts of food. I just had a conversation this past weekend with my son. Uh, we went to Five Guys and I asked him, what would you like to get for dinner tonight, buddy? Do you want a burger? Do you want a hot dog? And he said, I want a hot dog, Daddy, but I only want a hot dog if I can eat the bun and the hot dog separate. And I kind of laughed when he said this, and I looked at him and said, why? What, what does that matter to you? He said, it's too big altogether. I can't open my mouth enough to eat the whole hot dog and the bun at the same time, but if I eat them separately, that's fine. And I use this analogy because he's making his decision on what he eats entirely on what he can fit in his mouth. And if you've been someone for years dealing with pain in your jaw and difficulty with opening, and if you open too wide, can flare that jaw up again, 
to get 33% improvement in pain-free jaw movement, that's a major, major number. Uh, and that's something we should not throw as minuscule insignificant for someone with this kind of, of problem. Um, so obviously showing both groups, whether you go more the traditional route with the splinting, the meds, or the mobilization, you're gonna get better. But if you wanna do dry needling and upper cervical thrust treatments, you're gonna have a lot better overall results three months out. Um, and that's a lot of the things I keep seeing regarding these kind of research comparable studies. I like that they'll still show you that alternative options still work. It's not that therapy and rehab doesn't work unless you do dry needling or you do these thrust manipulations. You just may get a hell of a lot more bang out of your therapy buck if you go down that treatment route. Or maybe you've tried splinting. Maybe you've gone to therapy before and they've done ultrasound and they've done massage on your jaw and they've had you do different exercises for different muscle strengthening things and you've had no benefit of that. Maybe this is the right route for you, where those other ones weren't going to help you. Um, I also will state that in this study, they concluded that doing exercise for jaw-related issues like this is not a beneficial treatment to do. So if you are suffering from TMJ pathology or TMD issues, the uh, exercise route, such as all the you know resisted isometric jaw movements, which I've done with patients as well, are showing in research now to not even be effective, so just don't even waste your time with it. Um, I do still feel that doing range of motion and visual opening closing exercises are good for just general range of motion on the jaw and are also good for kind of your brain's control of the jaw uh, to allow for better improved movement. The three, there were three um, limitations um, that I will state to, to finish here. The first limitation was dealing with there was no control or placebo group. Um, they kind of discussed this in other research I've read that when you deal dr with dry needling, how do you sham someone in that? You know, it's not that hard to figure out what a needle feels like and if you didn't get poked that you probably aren't in the actual study. So that was one limitation is there was no placebo or control group that these studies should be done in comparison with that to determine truly how much better versus doing nothing your outcomes would be. Uh, the second limitation was a treatment bias because all the therapists in the 10 different uh, clinics that did this study were all from the same postgraduate fellowship program that were taught to dry needle and or thrust the same way. I didn't really think that was a limitation. I just personally felt that they're all gonna be trained virtually the same way, so you're gonna have pretty consistent outcomes with that. The third was uh, interocclusal appliances uh, in that group that got the splinting, the NSAIDs, and the mobilization. Uh, they were prepared by general dentists uh, based on the needs of each patient. Um, it did state that if they needed modifications done to them during this study, they could go back to the dentist and have things modified, but they stated by having like the same type, the same person do it for everyone would have had more un you know, uniform uh, aspects to that group's outcomes with the splinting. So those were the three limitations, but you know, overall my takeaway is dry needling wins again. Um, in terms of uh, side effects, mild soreness, I think six, seven people had some mild bruising. One or two had bruising that lasted more than seven days, but obviously no major uh, negative aspects of either treatment group's care. All right, that's what you got today. You got jaw pain, 
you've been dealing with for a long time, not a lot of success with other options, maybe it's time to get the dry needling uh, and the spinal manipulation a try for that issue. All right, have a great day, everyone. Enjoy. Until next time, stay healthy.